This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. taking all these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to another episode of literary treks i'm just one of your hosts bruce gibson and with me as he is always because he's such a reliable guy love watching him on youtube his videos on there are just fantastic give a big welcome to Dan Gunther. Hey, Bruce. Thanks. Wow. Thanks for the really warm introduction. Great to see you again. You too. I always look forward to this moment when we're actually getting ready to talk about Star Trek books and comics <laughs> because it's like for years I've been reading this stuff and I never really talked about them with anybody. And now it's like, oh, wait, we get to talk about it tonight. You know, it's fun. Yeah. And we got comics and a novel. Oh, yeah. No, it's always a, a lot of fun. You know, all day spend at work talking and thinking about work stuff. And then just knowing that at the end of the day, you're going to go home, turn on the computer, turn on the microphone and talk about Star Trek novels with someone who enjoys them just as much as you do. Ah, it's it's a lot of fun. I really, really love this. So you're telling me when you're at work, you don't get to talk to anybody about the Star Trek novels you're reading? Are you kidding? Oh, man. <laughs> I wish I could. But yeah, no, no, not a lot of interest there for some reason. Have you even tried to get anybody at work to read a Star Trek novel? Uh, there are a few people that know that I do this podcast and they would be the people that I would think might possibly be the most interested, but they're not even interested. So, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, same here. Although I will say I've seen uh, a car in the parking lot that has like uh, some Star Trek like decals on Ooh. it. And I got to find out who that might be. You need to uh, make a new friend, it sounds like. <laughs> yes, because everyone in my department could care less. Well, no, I take that back. We have a guy that's in our department that when we hired him like a few weeks after he started, somehow we... Star Trek came up and he's like, oh, I love the next generation. I've seen every episode. And so, but he doesn't read novels or anything, mm -hmm. but um, no, he, he likes Star Trek. And then somebody else in our group kind of does. And then my boss is just like, whatever, I could care less. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. You got to foster that where you find it for sure. You know, world needs more Trekkies. Exactly. I'm taking my boss a Star Trek novel and I'm going to ask her to read it nice let me know how that works out for you <laughs> i can tell you how it's going to work out she's going to give it back to me and say thank you but no thanks <laughs> she'll use it to prop <laughs> open her door for a while <laughs> yes. you'll have to true. make it one of the hardcovers, like q squared or one of the shatner books 
<laughs> she might use it to prop the door closed so I don't come in. <laughs> so anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the fact that we read them and we can talk to them, talk about these things with each other, and everyone listening likes this stuff, whether you read it or not, you're interested to know what's going on. So we had two new comics that just came out recently. One is the Star Trek New Visions 15, The Traveler. And the other one is Star Trek Green Lantern, Stranger Worlds number five. So we're going to talk about New Visions first. So let me grab my comic here off the shelf as I click on it. Wait, that makes no sense. (laughs) (laughs) I don't click if it's on the shelf, but it is on my computer. Perfect. So this is one of those photo comics where they do Photoshop, taking images from the original series and putting it in here. And as I mentioned, this is called The Traveler, and it's not The Traveler from The Next Generation. This is a TOS book. So, Dan, what were your first impressions when you read this? Well, I don't know about you, Bruce, but did you get kind of a vibe from a different science fiction franchise while you were reading this? I was, I mean, we've, we've got a ship and it's bigger on the inside. And we've got this kind of jaunty looking fellow who, you know, is known only as the traveler and, you know, kind of a, a singular noun, not a name kind of thing. And uh, yeah, this this really had a huge Doctor Who vibe. And not to mention these aliens that kind of look like Daleks or something. Just, just not exactly, but just enough that every time I was every page I read in this I was thinking it's kind of like Doctor Who I don't know what did you think of that that's exactly what I thought when I first looked at the cover these little robot things floating around in the background I was like those almost look like dialects from the Doctor Who show and I'm just like that's kind of weird but okay and then I start reading the comic and all of a sudden we meet the traveler and I'm like well he's kind of got a Doctor Who type vibe too. But prior to that, what really got to me about Doctor Who was the ship that they went on because it's a smaller ship. But once they go inside, they're like, it's inside. It's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. It's miles and miles long. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how many times have we heard that on Doctor Who? You know, a new companion or a new, it's bigger on the inside. And I was really hoping Spock or Bones would say that exact line almost, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's it's very TARDIS-esque. Yes. And I was thinking, too, when I read it, is this supposed to be connected to Doctor Who? As I was reading it, I thought, oh, is this really kind of like a crossover? But it obviously isn't. The further I get through the book, I, re- I start to realize that this isn't a direct connection to Doctor Who. We're just kind of playing off of that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it it uses that idea really well. And you know, by the end of the by the end of the story, we understand that this is actually the intent is that that this personality, this persona is meant to make you feel at ease and feel like you want to help this person and trust him, which is kind of how I've always viewed the doctor, right? He's kind of a he's a bit of a threatening character. Like he wields a lot of power and is, is very intelligent, but he always has this charming side to him that makes you want to like him and makes you want to trust him. And I feel like that's what this character, the traveler was doing as well. Yeah. He's got a coat on that's 
stripe. Well, it's one half is blue, the other half's red. I mean, it looks very much like a Doctor Who kind of coat that he would have worn in the earlier series. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I did like that he did in engineering is created like this three-dimensional enterprise that they can use in engineering to identify problems with the ship. I thought that was really cool looking. Yeah, that was neat. And uh, kind of by the sounds of it, I'm you know hopefully not giving too much away, but it sounds like they kind of want to hang on to that and keep using that after this story. So I'm wondering if we'll see that pop up in future New Vision stories. Yeah, and the other thing is, I'm very curious how they put these books together. Obviously, they're using photos from the original series. And then, like, the Traveler, who is this guy? Like, they have all these different headshots that they can put on the body. Is he an actor from something else? Is he, like, do they bring a guy in and just take different angles and emotions? And (laughs) the guy, like, where does this come from? I think... My this is just a guess. I have no no anything to cor- corroborate this, but I think they brought him in to take photos of because at the very end there's a there's a little notation with special thanks to Richard Weidlick or Weidlick, um, and I'm wondering if maybe that's the guy uh, and maybe John Byrne just set up his camera and had a bunch of shots that he wanted to get and. Uh, some wardrobe and told him to pose for him for all these shots. I, I don't know. That That's just kind of a guess though. No, that's a good point. I did see that special thanks at the end and I didn't really think anything of it. Cause I was like, I don't know who this guy is, but you're right. It could be the guy that uh, they brought in to take pictures. It makes me wonder if they sit in an office and they go, Hey, um, Bob over there, c- come over here. You got a few minutes. We want to take a few pictures of you. When you want to be in a comic book, just come in here and sit down and we're just going to take a several pictures of you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, and there are so many tight close-ups of his face and and that sort of thing. Yeah, I've got to think this was done specially for this comic, not uh I I mean, there's so many shots of Kirk and Spock and stuff lifted from the series. I suppose this could be somebody from something else that has a lot of shots, but I, I don't know. I think it's specific to this comic. That's my guess anyway. Do you think if we send in a bunch of pictures of ourselves that we'll actually appear in the comics? Ooh, we'll have to we'll have to like put together about a hundred images, you know, surprised and and pensive and angry. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine doing that? <laughs> oh my god. Unsolicited, okay. just a hundred snapshots. <laughs> There you go. (laughs) Right. I'll use up all the memory on my phone because I took so many pictures of myself. (laughs) (laughs) Just just hundreds of selfies all sent into them. So do you have anything else you want to comment about this particular comic? Um, I do have to say I enjoyed it. I think it was uh, an interesting story. You know, nothing completely groundbreaking. I like the the alien robots, I guess, and I like where the story leaves them at the end. I think robotics is not really something we see enough of in Star Trek. It kind of makes sense there would be a lot of, you know, robotic type stuff other than just, you know, androids like Data and, and that sort of thing. So it was kind of neat to see that uh, play out in this story. And I don't know, I, I kind of liked what it had to say about you know, going simply by appearances, you know, you trust this guy because he looks like us and, you know, is acts 
fun and, and interesting, but, you know, we find out he's much different. And uh, these aliens who are very different from us, it turns out they're the ones that are that are under attack here. So I guess I'm kind of giving away the ending like I said I wouldn't. But uh, yeah, it's it's a great story. It's really interesting to see it play out regardless. So I liked it too. I found it entertaining. It kept my attention going. Um, but... Uh, I really didn't understand why this traveler was doing what he was doing. I mean, I kind of got it, but I don't think it was fully fleshed out at the end. Mm -hmm. Like, I kept expecting it to be like, well, he was getting his revenge because blank. Yeah. I didn't really pick up on the real reason. Yeah, I don't know. It's almost like, oh, he's a strange alien creature who's evil, I guess. Right. You know, and then there's no real motivation beyond that, which, yeah, is a little bit disappointing for sure. Well, that being said, I know the motivation in the Star Trek Green Lantern comic. And so let's go to that one. Number five of Stranger Worlds. So we're getting to the end of this series. There's six issues and we've reviewed the previous four on other episodes. So now we're talking about the fifth issue. And I have to say, Dan, that I'm really enjoying this series. I never thought I'd really enjoy a Star Trek Green Lantern crossover because I'm not big into crossovers, but this is really good. And this issue seems to be the climax of the series where I feel like all the action is really just intensifying, building up towards the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is a lot going on in this one. It is definitely action-packed. And yeah, like you... I think of all the series that's that are going on right now, like I'm really enjoying Boldly Go, but when I see this one pop up on the schedule, I'm always like, oh, excellent. We get to find out what's happening next because I'm really into this one. And as I've said many times in previous episodes, I'm I'm not a fan of Green Lantern. That That's not to say because I don't like it necessarily. I've just never really been exposed to it or or, or gotten into it at all. And I'm really enjoying this as, as a Star Trek fan and as someone who knows next to nothing about Green Lantern, it's really captured my attention. And, uh, this is one that I definitely don't want to give away. You should definitely read it yourselves, but the way it ends (laughs) and the like, the like action movie one liner that it ends on, I was like, ah, that's perfect. So, yeah, I'm really into this one and really wanting to find out what's going to happen in the final chapter here. Exactly. I think the ending is perfect. Yeah, no spoilers here. We're going to let you, everyone else just read it and see how this takes place. My favorite thing about this issue is I'm really liking Khan in these books. I love the fact that Khan is a red lantern. I mean, it's like... This guy already has enough powers and abilities and you put a red ring on him and he's just a crazy nut job. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's almost like Khan the superhero. It's just <laughs> fun, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't know if I really would want to see that in a Star Trek episode or movie, but in the comic, it's fun. I really enjoy seeing this aspect of his character to have this power and go to the the Klingons and say, you know, follow me. I'll fix everything for you. We'll conquer earth together. It's just, just, I don't know. It's just very comic book esque type of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. Exactly. Like you said, I think it's a bit too over the top for a television show or a movie, but yeah, it 
fits totally the format of the comics here. This is this is at its core a comic story in every sense of that word. It's it's over the top, it's full of action and visually just stunning. Oh yeah, the artwork's great. I really love the artwork in this and just I'm looking through the frames right now. So, I guess we can't say enough. We're really enjoying this comic series. The next issue comes out in May, the last one. So, we'll have the conclusion of this six issue series. Uh there was the one from last year or so. So, this will be the second series that will have been completed. There was one previous to this uh, about last year or a little longer than that. But uh, yeah, it's pretty good. And I'd be interested because I'm not a big Green Lantern follower. I don't read Green Lantern comics. But if there's any graphic novels out there from Green Lantern that anybody thinks that Star Trek fans like us who are reading these would like, let us know. And, and we read it on air and let people know Hey, if you like the Green Lantern Star Trek crossover, you might like this Green Lantern book. So let us know. I think it would be interesting to check out. So that being said, if you were going to do this and let us know about a Green Lantern book, let me tell you how you can reach out to us. You can call me at, no, sorry, I don't give my phone number out. You can send us an email through trek.fm slash contact. Just go there and fill out the information and we will get your email sent to our inbox. You can send us a voicemail, look on the sidebar of our show page, or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. You can tweet us. That's where I look for tweets is on Twitter. No, I look <laughs> to interact with, with listeners on Twitter. You can tweet us at trek fm and uh you can also probably best to tweet us directly so i'm admiral underscore rex and dan you are i'm at kurtrats that's k-e-r-t-r-a-t-s and bonus points if you can figure out where i got that name from mm. oh wow yeah let's talk about that <laughs> i'll think about that one so also on Facebook, go to facebook.com slash Trek FM. You can also join us in the Babel Conference on Facebook. That's our Trek FM listeners group. Just go and type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field in Facebook, or go to our website, trek.fm, and click the discussion option on the menu bar, and it'll take you to the Facebook page. So that's a really great way to interact with not just us, but all the hosts and listeners of Trek FM. And then Dan, tell us about the Goodreads group that we have. Well, on Goodreads at goodreads.com, you can find our group where we maintain bookshelves with all of the books that we've previously covered in episodes up to now, as well as what we are currently reading so that you know what's coming up for future shows. Now, if you're not on Goodreads, it's a really great way to keep track of your books that you want to read, that you have read, and that you're currently reading, and that's exactly what we use it for for the show. And on top of that, there are also discussions happening about all the various books in the Star Trek universe, not just the ones we're covering on the show. So check that out, www.goodreads.com, search for Literary Treks. Okay, well, let's not waste any more time. Let's go ahead and jump into our feature where we're going to talk about William Shatner's Star Trek novel called Dark Victory. So 10 episodes ago on episode 178, we reviewed William Shatner's Spectre book, and that was book one in this trilogy that takes place in the Mirror Universe. Well, it doesn't take place in the Mirror Universe. It deals with the Mirror Universe so far. And 
now we are reviewing Dark Victory. And I'm looking here. This book, which is the second of the series, came out in 1999. And I read this at the time. I, I, think, I think these came out maybe as hardcovers originally. I don't recall. But I have the paper book. Do you, do you remember, Dan? I'm pretty sure they all came out as hardcovers. All of the William Shatner's novels did originally. I must have waited until the paperback came out because that's what I have in my hands right now from when I originally bought it. And I remember at the time really enjoying this book. I really enjoyed all the William Shatner books. And I wondered after all these years, would I like it today? And the answer to that question is, I'll save it for the end. Ooh, but cliffhanger. Yeah. So, Dan, did you read this prior to the show? I did not. I actually read it for this episode for the first time. I did have this book. And looking on the back of the book, it's got a price tag on it from a an English bookstore in South Korea from when I was living there. So I must have picked it up at the used bookstore What the Book in Seoul. And uh, for 5,000 won, apparently, which is about about five bucks US. So yeah, I, I found this in a used bookstore in Korea and never read it and brought it back to North America. <laughs> and it's been in my collection this whole time. And I finally read it now for the first time. Well, it's traveled a long way just so you could read yep, it. Yep, definitely. It's a, definitely a circuitous route for this book. <laughs> so this bookstore was called What the Book? What the Book, yep. Now, is that with a question mark at the yep, end? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> One of my favorite store names I've ever encountered in my life. I know. I love that idea. I love that name. What the book? <laughs> exactly. Well, this book, I'll tell you what the book about this book. This book actually picks up where things left off in the previous one. And we have Kirk that he has to face off against his mirror self who we're calling in here Tiberius not to confuse the two Kirks. And at the same time, Starfleet is trying to convince Kirk that Tiberius is dead, but Kirk suspects that he's not because Kirk is battling Tiberius on this planet and stuff. And all of a sudden they think that, you know, Tiberius was shot mm -hmm. by a ship and gone and, but, he wasn't really. So Dan, what, what did you think about that? Well, it, it's interesting because the previous book kind of leaves on this, this cliffhanger where they're in this situation and facing off against Tiberius. So we really launch right into it in this book. We're kind of right in the middle of the action and yeah, it was, it's, it's kind of weird that Starfleet is playing this cloak and dagger game where, you know, Kirk, sees Tiberius get shot and thinks he's dead. And then Starfleet shows him evidence that Tiberius is dead. And Kirk looks at it and realizes they've faked this. He's not dead. And so, you know, immediately, you know, I'm a little intrigued. I'm, I'm wondering why they're lying to him like this and wondering where the story is going to go from here. It's interesting because he never seems to trust anybody in this book. Mm -hmm. Everything he's told by someone, he doesn't trust them. Even Picard, he doesn't fully trust. Yeah. I think the only person he trusts are Spock, McCoy, and Scotty. Yeah, and even then, there's a little bit of trust issues among that group of friends, which uh, we'll probably get to in a little bit because, 
there yeah there's there's some kirk's really paranoid in this one but i guess maybe it's not paranoia when the universe actually is out to get you yeah i was just gonna th- say that he's either paranoid or he's he just seems desperate mm-hmm. you know i don't know if it's he's trying to figure out what his place is or maybe that he's done so much in his lifetime and things just never go right mm-hmm. i mean meaning you know it's not like he's in a place in his life where everything has settled. There's no more drama. Everything's, you know, retirement's easy or anything like that. Like even to this day with Kirk and all these years, he still has to deal with problems happening that he has to solve. Yeah. And I think he enjoys it. But at the same time, I think he's just at a point where he's just like, come on, can we get over this? I don't even trust anybody anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like I have to do everything myself. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of too bad. I mean, you know, in, in one way, we wouldn't really have much of a story if we didn't have our hero at odds. But at the same time, you know, like Kirk says in Star Trek Six to Spock, we've done our bit for king, king and Country. Like, why can't he just have a bit of a rest and a nice retirement and a good marriage with Teilani and just, right. you know, like, come on, universe. <laughs> Stop picking on this guy. Yeah, that scene from Star Trek Six is perfect. That's the Kirk I feel like we get in this. From that scene, it's the same thing. We've done our bit. Mm-hmm. You know, we've done, we've saved king and country. Come on. Like, when's it our turn mm-hmm. that we can, like, stop this madness? Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, he gets, he does get married, which that was one of my mo- most favorite scenes, uh, was seeing him actually getting married and having the reception. It just seemed so, it, it, Felt deserved. Mm-hmm. Like, I felt like Kirk has finally found happiness. He's found a woman that he can settle down with, live with in some remote planet, and just live out the rest of his life out of danger and with happiness. And, of course, that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Teilani is attacked uh, basically by a nerve toxin of some kind, and she collapses and Kirk, you know, vows to save her and, and, you know, avenge her and that sort of thing. And the origin of this attack and, and why it was perpetrated was also very surprising to me. Uh, what did you think of that aspect of the story? Yeah, because she's attacked by a child. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not like the child came over and just like grabbed her and threw her to the ground or anything the child he hugged her and lightly scratched her on the neck on the back of the neck with his fingernail and there's like a toxin in there Mm -hmm. like a poison on the tip of that fingernail which they don't realize has happened that's they just know that she dies at the wedding ceremony and they use a holodeck program to recreate because there were several cameras. Mm-hmm. They had to gather up all these images and pictures and video that people took at the wedding reception and put it all together to create this holodeck program to see exactly what had happened. And very much started ruling out certain people and narrowing it down to basically strangers. And these few children were part of those strangers. Mm-hmm. And they watched the hug take place and just, you know, with an observant eye, actually it was the holodeck. uh, It was the EMH Mm -hmm. that saw this happen because he can just go through the program real quick and watch all the events and came back 
and said, you know, what he saw that was strange. Yeah. And it was this moment. And it was the Andy Dick Mark II EMH as well, which is, you know, interesting to picture. Um, but actually, I really liked that scene too, where they're going through all those images and piecing it together like that. I, I don't know. I can't remember. Some news organization did this years ago, and I think it was during Obama's inauguration. They had everybody who, you know, had cell phone pictures and stuff, send them their pictures. And they kind of created this 3D, you know, version of the moment. And you could go in and and because they had all these pictures, they had all these different angles and you could kind of, I, I can't remember who did that, but I remember that was this big thing and it looked really cool. And that's totally what I was picturing when, um, when they were reviewing all of this footage and all of these pictures to try and figure out what happened here. It reminds me of Star Trek Into Darkness, where we see right, yeah. Kirk looking at the bombing of the archives with uh, Khan there, and he can zoom around and go at different angles around Khan. Yeah. It's almost like that. I, I'd forgotten about that. That's Yeah, that's exactly right. It looks really cool. <laughs> Kirk, of course, is going to try to figure out what happened and get his vengeance, but also she's now put in stasis. They think that She's got maybe five days or so before she actually is at a point that they can no longer save her. I mean, she's practically dead, but there's still some hope for a few more days if they can find some way to reverse the effects of this poison in her. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't want to get too much into the children quite yet, because I think we need to save that towards the end of the book. Mm -hmm. But... Um, there is some creepy elements to the story when it comes to these kids. Um, and I think I'll go ahead and talk about Project Sign. And this is the organization that actually uses Kirk to track down Tiberius. And this is an organization that is also watching the Mirror Universe. That's why it was formed. Back when the original Enterprise contacted the mirror universe from the episode mirror mirror this organization started up to monitor the mirror universe in case they were to enter our universe at any time and deal with uh, those consequences but what has happened is instead of just monitoring it they've taken much more active role in some things and have become more def uh, defense against the mirror universe it also it kind of reminds me of section 31 yeah, I had I had very much the same thought, and especially after having recently read Control, the the Section Thirty One novel by David Mack, you know, a, a lot of that idea of of this organization kind of, you know, arising out of, uh, you know, one idea kind of thing, but then taking on bigger roles and becoming uh, more of a force to be reckoned with, and that kind of thing. Uh, and and it actually made me think of Section 31 of the Kelvin timeline a little bit too with their kind of secret chips that they've built that, you know, the rest of Starfleet doesn't know about and that sort of thing. They've really kind of become this, this shadowy organization that, much like Section 31, has no accountability to something, you know, there's no oversight of it. And it kind of made me wonder if maybe there is some sort of connection between the the groups as well. But, you know, nobody ever really mentioned Section 31 in this book, which which kind of surprised me because I kind of thought they would link those ideas together. Well, especially the fact since this book did come out in 99, Section 31 
had already been addressed on Deep Space Nine mm -hmm. by that time, right? So, uh, yeah, I'm kind of surprised they didn't go there. But I really do think that there's got to be some connection between Project Sign and Section 31. Maybe not a direct link, but there's got to be some involvement there somehow. Because, yeah, there's these ships that this this convoy of ships that Kirk had to deal with um, Captain Radisson. Mm -hmm. And she basically was telling Kirk that they don't want him involved and he needs to get out of the way. That was the original intent of Captain Radisson to approach Kirk. But then later on, there's no record of these ships or a Captain Radisson. So they're a secret organization, just like Section 31. Mm -hmm. I think if nothing else, Section 31 knows about Project Sign <laughs> or or vice versa, maybe. I don't know. Like there, there's definitely, if they're not connected, they're at least aware of each other's presence and either have cross purposes or are maybe a little bit at odds with each other and kind of looking out for one another or something like that. I don't know. There's, there's definitely, in my quote unquote head canon, <laughs> there, there, there's a connection of some kind. Absolutely. I think there's got to be a connection of some type there. I think Project Sign probably isn't as secret as Section 31, but I think Section 31 is behind Project Sign. That makes sense, yeah. So then we're also introduced to Dr. Andrea Mabenga, who is a descendant, the great-granddaughter of Dr. Mabenga from the original series. And she's got a very similar role to what her great-grandfather did. She's a doctor and she works in Starfleet. And this organization brings her in to help with some different investigations and scientific data and, and try to figure out some things and projects that they're doing, but she never remembers that she did it. After they use her, they don't necessarily wipe her mind of the memories of working for them. They suppress her memories. Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting because the idea is if they wipe her mind and have to use her again, they almost have to re-educate her. But if the memories are suppressed, it'd be easier for her to catch up with what she needs to do because things start to come. There's certain things they will say that would trigger the memories or experiences that she may have done before with them. Right. This was a really chilling part of this book for me because, you know, when they're talking to her, they make it sound like, you know, she's always a willing participant and that sort of thing. But if they're suppressing her memories and stuff, you know, she can never really be sure of that. And sure enough, when everything kind of at, at a later point in the novel, all of her memories come to the surface with the help of a particular Cardassian tailor that we may or may not know. Um, it's pretty clear that what they're doing is not in her interests at all and, they're, and not really with her permission because they've given her contradictory information basically to mess it up in her head so that if she does remember something, it it can be more easily dismissed and all this sort of stuff. So when that all came out, like I already thought like, there's no way she's just okay with this every time kind of thing. And yeah, sure enough, like they're doing some pretty horrible things to Dr. Mabenga and also just in general. Yeah. She just thinks that she has 
certain diseases or things that have happened to her in the past where it's just, you know, she forgot something and she doesn't really remember that well or whatever. Mm -hmm. And here she has no idea that it's really this organization that's suppressing her memories. And I, I'm glad you brought up that certain Taylor because she does serve on deep space nine. Mm -hmm. And that also is one of my favorite scenes. I'd say the wedding scenes I enjoyed a lot. My second favorite or about equal would be the scenes with Garrick. Mm-hmm. he's such a great character i'm telling you it's just <laughs> he's fantastic especially when you know no one else knows what's going on but he's giving everybody the the crumbs to follow the path to get to the answer and he's basically insinuating to her that maybe uh she doesn't remember certain things maybe someone's behind that and of course she's blowing that off but then he convinces her to come to his tailor shop there and he takes her back to show her something and here's this man in a chair all beaten up <laughs> and bounded. And she's just like, you know, oh my gosh, what's going on? And as soon as she looks at this man, all of a sudden it starts to come to her that she knows this guy. Mm-hmm. And Garrick's just like, you know, look at him, notice, you know, don't you see who he is? Don't you, aren't the memories there? Do you understand what I've been telling you? you know, <laughs> it all starts to, starts to start coming to the front of her mind. That was so awesome. Yeah. I, I love Garrick. I, I've gone on the record saying he's one of my all time favorite Star Trek characters, if not my favorite Star Trek character. And he's written really well here too. Like his, his parts are, you know, he really, I, at first when he showed up, I thought he was kind of like, oh, they're throwing Garrick in here. That's cute. Okay. You know, just a little bit of fan service, but he really does become integral to the plot in uncovering what's been happening to Dr. Mabenga and what's really going on behind the scenes here. So yeah, that scene was really, really great. And kind of seeing those memories pop up and, and become, start to become uncovered from the perspective of Andrea Mabengo was, was really cool. That was a really well-crafted scene. Yeah, so there were several scenes in here that really worked. Then there's other parts of the book that I feel like it's just trying to get you from one place to the other. So let's talk about the pacing of this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed that you had made a note in our show notes here, Dan, that you felt that the story was structured strangely and had a quick wrap up to the previous book's cliffhanger and then a lull in the middle. Tell us more about what you were thinking of that. Well, it was kind of, like I said, yeah, it it wraps up the cliffhanger. So we're dropped in the middle of this action at the start of the book. And I mean, I understand it's part of a trilogy and not a complete story in itself, but I tend to prefer when even in a trilogy, a book has kind of a definite beginning, middle and end. And this one to me felt like it was wrapping up the story from the previous book and then seeding some crumbs for another story that just took a really long time to get going. So the middle part of the story, we get some intrigue and some stuff happening, but you know, the main plot, I notice, for example, when Kirk finally crosses over into the mirror universe to try to catch up with Tiberius, which is, you know, towards the end of the novel, I we're only like 50 pages from the end, 50 to a hundred pages. And I'm going, this seems really strange to me. Like it's like we're kicking off another story and then just creating another cliffhanger for the next book. And again, like I say, I, I understand it's a trilogy, but you know, when I pick up a book, I like to have kind of a definite feeling that I've read a novel. You know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense. 
No, it makes sense because it really felt like when I started the book, it was the next chapter in the first book. Mm -hmm. It was almost as if I was going into this smack dab in the middle of another book. I was like, wait, what's going on again? I mean, it kind of did a quick catch you up on what's going on, but it didn't feel like the beginning of a book. It just felt like the next chapter of the last book. Right. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. And, but then once I caught up and remembered, okay, where things left off in Spectre and where this was going, then it felt pretty good to me. I mean, it felt like a story. But as you said, like when we're, I was getting towards the end, I thought there aren't that many pages left. And I don't feel like we're even close to resolving anything. I don't even feel like we're even close to you know an ending story at mm-hmm. this point. And again, it just feels like it progressed to another point in the overall story and then just stopped. Like right. it didn't feel, it didn't even feel that much strong, like a cliffhanger. It just felt like I should be able to turn the page to the next chapter and Oh, there is no next chapter. I just have to wait to the next book. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I found myself doing that thing where, you know, I'm like, Oh, okay. So this is kind of what's happening. We're starting to get into the story and I'm checking to see how many pages are left. I'm like, okay, so there's 303 pages in this book. I'm on page 240 and it just now feels like we're starting to get this plot in motion here. And, and yeah, like you said, I never really thought about it that way, but yeah, it's not even a big, huge jaw dropping cliffhanger at the end. It's just, that's the end of the story. And the next part of the story is just the next chapter. And, and yeah, that's it. Exactly. It just, it feels like it lands with a bit of a, you know, not a bang, but a little bit of a thump. (laughs) And that's it. (laughs) This book brought to you by Thump. (laughs) Well, speaking of the ending, we might as well just talk a little bit about that. Uh, So Kirk confronts Tiberius. And in that confrontation, we meet these children. And there's the boy that killed Tulaney with his fingernail. (laughs) Which sounds really funny the way that just, <laughs> it's like, I want to go to, okay, so I'm going to go to my boss. I'm going to say, you really need to read a Star Trek novel. In this book, a boy kills a woman with his fingernail. It's fantastic. <laughs> I, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, maybe this isn't the novel that you <laughs> recommend for someone who has not read Star Trek literature before. Uh, just, just a thought. I don't know. It was Colonel Mustard. In the dining room with a fingernail. (laughs) Spoiler alert for my thoughts and rating on this book. But anyway. (laughs) No, but it all makes sense because we've come to find out that these children are clones that Tiberius has created. He does not have relationships with anybody. He has no friends. He has no family. So he's basically created his future by creating these children. And so the boy that killed Tulaney is a clone there's like three of him but actually we found out no there's four one is missing and so kirk thinks tiberius sent this boy to kill his wife but he says no it wasn't me someone took one of my clones and actually probably a few of his clones and they're using them for something else which sounds to me as if i think it's pretty obvious that project sign is behind this Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and we do learn through Doctor Mabenga and 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 what's going on with her that, uh, 
it was Project Sign that actually attacked Tilani and and not Tiberius. So, and so speaking of the end here, this is this is where my big problem with this book comes is Kirk's after Tiberius because he wants the antidote to this toxin that's that's killing Tilani and basically he hands all of his chips to Tiberius. He tells him that he needs this thing from him. And then so Tiberius is like, oh, you need something from me, do you? Well, you're going to do everything that I say then. And Kirk kind of meekly goes, well, I, I guess so then. Yeah, you're you're right. <laughs> well, Th- this is Kirk... the thump that the book ends on that I mentioned <laughs> no. earlier. I'm just like, oh, and I mean, I know it's a Kirk centric story in the third book. He's going to be vindicated and this is all going to turn around. And, but, oh, I just, it was, it was such a, uh, just well, not an exciting way to where, end. Well, it's like, well, no, you're right. But I mean, again, it, it just feels Kirk is so desperate. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Kirk's just like handing in all his cards is like, yeah, as long as you give me the antidote, I'll do whatever. I don't know if he's really, he means that or if he knows, you know, I'm going to find a way out. I'm going to play Tiberius, but for now I'm going to think he's on, you know, that I'm on his side. Mm -hmm. Because again, Kirk doesn't seem to trust anybody right now at Starfleet or, and especially at Project Sign. And it's obvious, as you had mentioned, that we basically find out that this was, if Project Sign, well, we know Project Sign sent this boy to kill Tulaney. It was, it wasn't necessarily to kill her. It was just to kind of put her down for a while to keep, Kirk away from anything that they're doing. They want him out of the picture. They don't want him to get involved, which is funny to me because when he got married, I don't think he was going to get involved yeah. in anything. <laughs> yeah. It, it seems like to counter purposes what, what they're doing here, because that's what gets Kirk brought in is, is yeah. So I, I don't know. A lot of the plot to me seems a little bit convoluted and just kind of moving things around to get people to where we want them. And yeah, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense if you examine it really closely. Yeah, I, I think one of my one of the biggest complaints I have about these William Shatner books is I feel like they throw in everything they possibly can. It's like we have to put in as many Star Trek characters from all the different series in as much as we can and in many of the popular races and the many places and situations and whatever, and just try to get it all in there. It's almost like a big family reunion in a sense. In one way, in one sense, I've always liked it because it's like, Oh, there's the next generation crew on deep space nine. And now they're dealing with, you know, Catherine Janeway, which is from the mirror universe. It's like, we're seeing all these characters. We from different series interact with one another and they're with the original cast and so on and so forth. But at the same time, it just seems a bit much. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you feel that way? Yeah. Or is it just me? No, no, I, I absolutely agree. I And like I mentioned when I was talking about Garrick, like I thought like, oh, okay, there's one more thing they've thrown in. But uh, every once in a while, you know, it works and it's it's a really good addition. But yeah, for the most part, it, it does feel like we're throwing in everything together into this kind of potpourri of Star Trek stuff. <laughs> Ooh, that's it. That's the, It's potpourri. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's just yeah. a melange of all this stuff that that looks, smells, and and feels like Star Trek. So that you know, and and Kirk's there too. You know, it, it's let's put everything with Kirk kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, there's the fanboy side of me that loves that, but at the same time, I'm like, eh, I don't know, we pushing it a little too much to get it in there. You know, 
I don't know, but it, it's still fun. These books are a lot of fun. So moving on. Wait, one thing about the children. It's also creepy earlier on because they find this sleeper ship that's like Khan's ship from the original series. And it has these children in it. And Project Sign has Dr. Mabega going through and, and trying to figure out what's up with these children. And they bring one of them in and they have the EMH there interact with the child and the child bites him on the neck <laughs> and it was really just you know a test because they knew that these kids were wild and crazy things and they were using the emh as a test because of course they don't want the kids to bite their necks <laughs> but i mean these kids are kind of creepy especially when they call kirk daddy yeah i knew i didn't mean that's kind of a bit of a a horror or thriller trope you know things seem really creepy when when they're kids you know like there's so many horror movies that have really creepy kids in them and that's what this feels like is you know the the children of the corn of star trek kind of thing like these kids are scary as crap (laughs) exactly so i'm curious to see how this continues in the next book but you know kirk of course suspects that tiberius is still alive but we come to find out that all his friends were all thinking that oh yeah we know he's alive and oh yeah mccoy already figured this out and whatever and Kirk's like why why haven't you told me spock scotty yeah mccoy why haven't you told me these things i mean what is up with that why aren't they helping kirk out why are they holding information back from him yeah this seems really weird to me so yeah like you said all of these you know kirk spock scotty all of them and McCoy, all, all of them think that Tiberius is still alive and none of them shares their suspicions with any of the others. And this, you know, was really confusing to me. And especially when they all kind of figure it out and they, yeah, Scotty thought that too. <laughs> and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I really wonder what it says about their friendships. I think almost they're almost all at this point where, you know, they really do care for one another but I think it's gotten to this point where they think they know best. So, you know, for example, Kirk doesn't want to drag his friends into this, so he doesn't tell them. And Spock worries that, you know, Kirk will be upset by this news, so he doesn't tell him and, and all this stuff. And, you know, it really speaks to, I think friends need to trust one another and, you know, to share this information with each other because it's it's this really almost... I don't know what the word would be, but like almost like this paternalistic thing where, you know, I know best and I know, you know, like when you find out a friend has been keeping something from you because they didn't want you to be upset or something like that. Like when that comes out, that's always more upsetting than if you had just shared that information to begin with, you know, and it's kind of, it's a bummer to see these friends at this point. And all right, Dan, I, I'm going to come out and just tell you, I, I've been keeping the secret from you all this time. Um, Oh, I, let me brace myself. I, okay. I, I've never read a Star Trek book until we started doing the show. Oh, oh my God. I, I, I don't know how to tell fact, you this, but I, I didn't either. And I've actually never even read one since we started this show. <laughs> I've just been going off oh. what you said. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I've just been going off what my wife tells me. Uh-oh. She's been reading the books and say, just say this on the show. <laughs> wow. And it still works. Oh, I yeah. feel so much better oh. having gotten that off my chest. 
I just hope the listeners never find out. <laughs> yeah, we've never read these books. We're just making it up. If you actually read Dark Victory, it's a totally different story than what we're talking about. <laughs> awesome. Now, of course, we've read hundreds of these books. It's inc- it's incredible. And we will read um, hundreds more, I'm sure. <laughs> absolutely. And keep tuning in because 50 years from now, we'll still be here. Absolutely. I hope so. Um <laughs> So, okay, let's talk about the preservers. Mm. So, fact or fiction? Because Dr. Mabenga thinks that they don't really exist, and she's arguing this with Commodore Twinning, who's part of the uh, Project Sign. I thought this was interesting because I felt it was the way the authors, because, you know, we know it's not strictly just William Shatner re- uh, writing this book. It's also... Uh, Judith and Garfield Reeve Stevens. And it's almost addressing the fact like, you know what? This galaxy is so big. I don't think there was one race going around seeding all these planets to make humanoids. So I like the fact that her argument was that maybe as Professor Gallen claimed, you know, the preservers, they were behind the creation of the humans, the Vulcans, and of course then the Romulans are offshoots of the Vulcans, the Cardassians and the Klingons. There's that connection there within their DNA or whatever. And so they seeded those races. But that doesn't necessarily mean they seeded all the planets and all the humanoids come from that seeding. I mean, a lot of these M-class planets are developed in a way that may have been cross-pollination between the planets, but not necessarily from the preservers, and that these planets have the same habitats, so humanoids are going to be formed in those same type of habitats. I thought that was interesting to kind of perceive it as if the preservers may or may not exist, but if they did exist, they didn't have that much of an impact on creating humanoids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting. It's one of those things that, you know, it's cool to see in-universe kind of scientific debate, I guess, you know, so ever since the episode The Chase, you know, we've kind of taken it as gospel that the, these this ancient race of humanoids seeded all of the planets. That's why we get so many humanoids. But, you know, maybe that's not the case. And also, I want to I kind of want to do a, a bit of a like dig deep on Star Trek lore here. The preservers and Christopher L. Bennett is someone who has argued a lot about this on in various mediums and stuff. The preservers were identified as the people that transplanted the Native Americans in the episode The Paradise Syndrome in the original series, which, you know, was not that long ago as far as, you know, in cosmologically speaking. And there's really nothing to link them to the ancient humanoids that were in the episode The Chase but for some reason they seem to get conflated even though they're billions and billions of years apart. But uh, I mean, that's just a little tiny nitpicky stickler thing that like, I don't think it's the preservers. The preservers are, are something else. But I think as we get further into the lore of these novels, they're, they're going to be called them, I guess, and the same thing. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. But anyway, that's just a little side note. <laughs> Well, and I think we will find out more about them because the next novel in this series is called Preserver. I I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Which, by the way, I don't think I ever read. I read book one and two of the series, but I never read the third one. Oh, nice. Yeah, no, I've, like like I said, I've never read this one. So yeah, I've definitely 
never read that one either. So ah, looking forward to that. It'll be our first time for both of us for that one. And honestly, I would like to go into it right now because these books are so closely connected. <laughs> I'd like to just keep it going, you know, but we are going to cover that here uh, in the next few episodes. It's coming soon. Mm -hmm. It is coming. I don't remember which episode, but it is coming up soon. Definitely. So we're going to get to Preserver uh, in a little while. So now we have in here where Kirk doesn't want to be incapacitated like Christopher Pike. He's been worried about this for years. He remembers seeing Pike in this condition like we saw in the original series. And in the meantime, Kirk has made a point, and this is what it says in the book, he has made a point of staying active with horseback riding and other physical activities and challenges, and he seems to always jump into things and because he's always trying to be on the move and always trying to stay active, and he's always cheating death. However, he's always known that one day, that day will come where he will no longer be able to do those activities, and he's been afraid of that. And no matter what, he will continue to fight to never give up the abilities that he has now. And this reminds me so much of William Shatner himself. I guarantee you William Shatner had a lot to do with this being in the book. Because again, he wasn't the only one writing this book, but he was presenting ideas. Because I remember William Shatner years ago, and maybe it was around the time he was doing these books now that I think about it. He said, you know, that's one of the things he's always been doing is he is afraid of getting old. He just feels like he always has to stay active because if he just keeps moving, then maybe he will live longer and not think about getting old and dying. And to this day, think how much this man does. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's always active. He's everywhere. I mean, he's just constantly doing stuff. And at his age, I mean, isn't he what? He's in his 80s, mid 80s. Yep. Yeah. He's over 80 for sure. Yeah. No. And, and I actually really appreciated this part of the book and I hadn't thought of it before reading this that particular aspect of Kirk, especially linking it to Chris Pike like they did. I thought that was really interesting. You know, his immediate predecessor is captain of the Enterprise, and that's how he ended up. I thought, wow, what a what a great place to take this character that he's been contemplating this. He's been thinking about that since since that moment in his career when, you know, he came face to face with Pike being so badly hurt and confined to a wheelchair and trapped in his own mind what a what a great base fear to introduce to Kirk and yeah like you said very much something that William Shatner has talked about before himself you know wanting to stay active and yeah I, this is one part of the novel I do have to say I really appreciate it I really like that aspect you know, William Shatner is somebody I don't necessarily look up to and say, oh, you know, I, I want to be like him. Mm. Uh, no offense, Mr. Shatner. That's not, you know, just don't do that. Except when I look at what how active he is and everything he's doing, I always think that's what I want to be doing when I'm in my 80s. It's like yeah. still living life, still being out there, still doing things, traveling and getting involved in things. I mean, I joked about doing this show for the next 50 years, which we know isn't going to happen, but I wouldn't mind in the age of 80 still sitting here at a microphone and doing something like this or any other activities that I do. Just always keep it going. I don't want to be you know, so passive and I'm just sitting around watching The Price is Right. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. The, and and. Amen to that for sure. Can you picture us in our 80s sitting here talking about Star Trek novels 
that probably haven't been published for 30 years. <laughs> we're recording something called a podcast and the kids are like, oh, come on, grandpa. Nobody's listened to podcasts in 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, but our listeners do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They've been listening to us since day one. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the 20,456th episode of Literary Tricks. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? I wonder what it would be like. <laughs> I mean, seriously, 50 years from now, are we still going to get novels every month? <laughs> <laughs> we can only hope. We can only hope. <laughs> well, I'm just, it's blowing my mind. I'm just thinking about all the other movies and series and everything. I mean, who knows? You know, this just could just keep going and going and going for the longest time well, to it, the point where it, it doesn't make sense because we'll be in the 22nd, 23rd, 24th centuries <laughs> and the people will be like, this is, this makes no sense. This isn't how things are. Well, first contact supposed to happen in my eighties. So, you know. <laughs> oh my gosh. There you go. Oh, we'll be, we'll be recording live from Bozeman, Montana, looking at the yes. skies, waiting for the Vulcans to land. Write it down, everybody. Special episode on that date. <laughs> So, Dan, let me ask you, I think we covered just about everything in this book, unless there's something else that you can think of that you want to talk about. I don't think so. I think we, we covered it pretty thoroughly. So what are your final thoughts? Well, there are a few things that I like in this novel that, that we've brought up. I think Garrick's role in it is really interesting and not just fan service like I thought it was would be. So it was, you know, a nice surprise. And I really like some of the stuff that's done with Kirk's character. Some of the other stuff that's done with Kirk's character, however, really bug me. And for me, the ending in particular with, like I said, it kind of lands with a dull thud. You know, there's there's nothing really to grab me, really to make me excited about the next book. They they introduced this idea, and we we didn't really talk about it, but the the First Federation and Baylock's ship, they introduced that right at the end. It's kind of out of left field, and by the sounds of it, it, it sounds like that's going to be the major thing in the next book. But it just, you know, there's nothing to really grab me, to really, really make me want to read that next book. And the fact that it ends in the middle of that just makes this novel feel incomplete. So for me, it's it's tough to judge this one because it's not part of the whole story. But at the same time, I feel like it should be a whole self-contained story. So, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I'm, I'm going to have to kind of be a, a bit of a stick in the mud on this one and probably rate it somewhere around the lines of, I'd say, two out of five stuffed baylocks in a glass cabinet which is a really gruesome and, and disappointing rating <laughs> yeah that is in the book how he's like that and they said like the look on his face or his like his mouth is open or something. yeah and he's all happy <laughs> drinking tranya and it's Ugh. <laughs> yes they have the tranya in his hand they said oh my gosh oh. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, yeah, the first Federation, I, I, I liked that part, the ending because of the recent, the face of the unknown by Christopher L. Bennett that we read. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like, Ooh, we're going back to the first Federation. You know, it was like after, cause I really loved that uh, book that Chris wrote. And so it's like, Ooh, I'd love to see how this plays out and maybe, you know, how it connects or how it 
maybe doesn't connect with what he wrote. So I'm looking for that in the next book. And I think that's why I'll give a more favorable rating because even though it doesn't feel like it has a beginning, middle and the end, it feels like a middle. The whole thing does feel like a middle to the point that I want to get to the end. So it made me want to jump to the next book. So if something's going to make me want to move to the next book as quickly as I can to see how this is all going to play out, I'm going to give it a higher rating. Um, I do think Kirk just feels a little off. Like, I just feel like he doesn't even know what to make of things and of himself and where he is in his life. So he's a little disjointed. Everybody else seems on par, but I feel like he's just struggling with something. And so I'm going to say that I will give this book 3.75 kids chomping at the neck out of five. Who wants 0.75 of a kid chomping at your neck? Ooh. Well, so the kid chomps once, twice, three, and starts to bite again, and then he gets pulled away right before he can get a complete bite again. It's close to a four. Nice. <laughs> that sounds so disgusting. Yep, yep, that's, that's an image. That's an image that sticks with you. <laughs> well, with that image, we're going to close this feature. Well, a little bit of a mixed reaction to this second book in the Mirror Universe Kirk William Shatner trilogy thing we've got going on here. I'm still holding out hope. I mean, ratings are a malleable thing. And maybe in the context of the complete trilogy, I might have to revisit my rating in this episode. But for now, very unimpressed by this novel. Really hoping that, you know, they pull it out in the third novel and I really, really get behind this. And that's definitely a possibility. It could happen. I just find these novels fun. Um, they, they And I feel like they're quick reads, too. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, it's just a lot of fun. I don't know if I can ever rate a Star Trek novel as being really bad. <laughs> I mean, I have a few in my head from way, way, way back when. Maybe I would say, <laughs> yeah, these are pretty bad. But for the most part, I enjoy just about every Star Trek novel. But I will be honest if I don't like something, but I really, I had fun reading this. Mm -hmm. That's all I can say. It was just fun. But even though some things maybe not make a whole lot of sense or something, it's just fun. But you know what? That's, the fun thing is talking about the books themselves. And you know what? That's not the only thing we're talking about here on Trek FM. Here's some other things that you may have missed somewhere else on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Best of both worlds. It's a good episode. I, episodes. I, I enjoyed it. I remember when it first took off. Family was a hundred times better to me. I'd watch Family ten times to one over watching Best of Both Worlds or Inner Light. Those are the types of things that interest me. And I do enjoy the action-adventure pieces of it. I truly do. But I, I love seeing the characters. And that's why Wrath of Khan works. Warp 5. It was just mesmerizing to me. And I remember when my, my dad, a long time ago, had an airplane. He would take us up flying, but never, you know, we'd hold the wheel and say, hey, we're flying an airplane. But I never really was bitten by the flying bug. But it happened right there on a runway in Hawaii, on Oahu. The 602 Club. And we saw it in the first Alien as well. I mean, like the company sent them to yes. yep. to, to yep. the planet to bring that alien back, right? And uh, I, I didn't remember the part where in this film where Burke sent 
the the colonists to go and find the ship on his own without authority from the company. I had forgotten that part. So that was kind of an interesting revelation seeing this movie for the first time in 12 or 13 years, however long it's been since I've seen this. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. And you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts and you know where you get your podcasts. So if you're going there, you know, you'll find us there. And if you're an Apple user, be sure to hit that subscribe button because man, that really helps us out and makes other listeners find our podcast. If the more subscribers we have, the better as they search on iTunes and Apple podcasts. And also please give us a star review. I mean, it's, you can give us five stars. That's the most you can give us. I don't think you can do like three, seven, five, but (laughs) you can do, you know, five, four, three, and hopefully not two and one, but you know, be honest, you know, give us reviews. That helps a lot too, but you can also find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. And you know what, Dan? There's another way that people can help out Literary Treks and Trek FM. You know how that is? How, Bruce? That is, I'm glad you asked. That is by becoming a patron of the network on Patreon. I, I actually visit, knew that. I was just playing you along. Did, I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. You know what? Again, just like Kirk's friends, not being truthful and honest up front when you knew something you could have told me. At the last minute, I decided I, I had to be honest. <laughs> well, if you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. So we really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. So, Dan, when you are hiding information from your friends, like from me, where can people find you? Well, you know, I'm actually pretty free with my information. I put it out there for all to see on places like Twitter, where you can find me at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. I take pictures of everything going on in my my life on Instagram at Kurtrats47. I'm on Facebook.com slash Productions. I'm on YouTube.com slash Productions, And you can also find me in the Babel Conference on Facebook. And in all of those places, the stuff that I share is mainly about Star Trek. Because what is life without Star Trek? And Bruce, when you're not hiding listening devices in the infirmary trying to figure out what the heck is going on with Dr. Mabenga and why she keeps fainting all the time... Where can we find you? Well, you can find me in my tailor shop, getting people fitted with new outfits and clothing. Or you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And you can find me talking Star Wars on the Star Wars Report podcast with Riley Blanton and Mark Herleman. And of course, you can always find me in the Babel Conference because that's where we like to talk about Star Trek online. And we also like to thank our associate producers, Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, and Brandon Shea Matala for all their support on the Trek FM network and being those associate producers of Literary Treks as well. So thanks everyone for listening. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.